You are listening to the Sunday Morning Sermon from Faith Bible Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. You can find podcasts and other resources at www.faithbiblechurch.us. Take your Bible, if you wouldn't, turn with me to Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42, we'll read Psalm 42 as well as Psalm 43. I'll make the case that they go together. And uh, if you're not perhaps as familiar with opening God's Word, I'll give you a little cheat code for this morning. You can just about take a Bible and crack it in half and end up in the Psalms. So good luck with that. Hopefully you'll end up in the Psalms. And uh, you can find the large section division uh, that we call the chapters of the Bible, or in this case the numbers of the Psalms. We're looking for Psalm 42. And while you're turning there, I just want to give a word of thanks and uh, appreciation from one of the many Williams families at this church, but the new one. Uh, just want to thank you for the sweet, sweet reception that Lindsay and I and the kids have experienced in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you all have just been so welcoming and inviting to us to, to allow us to join your family and to just send words of encouragement and cards and, and moving help and, and so many other things. We want to just tell you thanks from the bottom of our heart. Psalm 42 is our passage today, and I've entitled the message, Overcoming Spiritual Depression. It seemed like a good morning for that, as you have lost an hour of sleep, and we all were greeted with a little bit of moisture on the way in this morning. So let's talk about being depressed. How about that? Uh, Psalm 42 and overcoming spiritual depression. I want to give just a, a little bit of a caveat, a little bit of a note as we dive into this passage, and that is that we don't see or use the word depression specifically in the Scripture. We'll see our, our uh, psalmist this morning talking about being downcast or despairing or, or eating his tears, perhaps just eaten up with sadness. And yet this word, this idea of being pressed down seems so well to encapsulate what it means to go through this dark night of the soul. And yet as we talk about this, I want you to understand that my use of that term is not to, to grab in everything the secular world would say about the construct of depression. That's not my aim. My goal is to speak to this condition that the scripture speaks to of being despairing of soul or being downcast, where your soul is dark and dealing with sorrow day and night. Psalm 42 and 43, let me read for us. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Carrying over on to Psalm 43, vindicate me, O God. And defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why? Are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray to the Lord. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Help us here now to understand your remedy for this spiritual state of downcastness. Help us to know what it is to have the joy that we can have in Christ, and to live that out no matter the situation. Thank you for the songs we've sung this morning and the words we've heard spoken. We pray it would bless our soul as we delight in you and we call others to do the same. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 42 and 43, and and I want to just make a quick note that will kind of help us guide along as we move through this passage. I want to see that there are three divisions if you put these two psalms together. First, we'll see a a division there in verses 1 through 5, and then we'll see Psalm 42, verse 6 through 11. And then finally, we'll see Psalm 43 as kind of its own cluster. And each of these contain similar elements in a progression. The psalmist speaks about the state of his soul these things that he's fighting with, these things that he's wrestling with. And then he lays out what he knows to be true about the Lord. Perhaps he grabs hold of just one simple truth, one thing he knows he can reach out and take hold of. And then he expresses how he feels. I'm going to argue here in a minute that he actually expresses how he feels in contradiction to what he knows to be true. He holds on to feelings over facts, and after that he keeps going. Perhaps he, uh, he goes on to say, no, it's really that bad. Or as we see later on, maybe he he gets to a a little bit of taking heart. He gets to uh, begin to see a little bit of light coming through. And then each section closes with the same refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? In the pattern and in our time together, I want to see three things about spiritual depression. First, I want us to see the reality of spiritual depression. If you're a note taker, like a, a nice big heading, let me give you that as our first heading, the reality of spiritual depression. There is no way around the reality of this in this passage. The writer is cut to the core in sadness. Next, I want to see the reasons for spiritual depression. I count seven within this passage that I want to draw out and hopefully show you how they show up in these words. And yet, I also want to bring in a couple others that'll, that'll be helpful as we think about the reasons for spiritual depression. And then I don't want to leave you there. That would be unhelpful. And so I want to talk about the rescue from spiritual depression. I want, to, I want to talk about that in a twofold way. First, I want to see how you, as you suffer, as you in, uh, encounter something like spiritual depression, you are called to, to go and grow through those things and what rescue God has provided for you. 
But I also want to talk about how we seek to care for others who experience this season of spiritual depression. Let's talk about the reality first. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 3, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? If we jump over to the the second stanza there, we see verse 6. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon. The psalmist faces spiritual darkness. He goes on to say that his tears have been his food. If we we stopped for just a second and thought about just the the travel that your tears may take as they drench your face, as they've trickled down the sides of his nose, maybe perhaps even collected in the corners of his mouth, the the fact that his tears have not even been wiped away, they're just there and they're present. And all all he can seem to find to eat is sadness all day, every day. I've consumed my tears. They've been my food day and night. What'd you have for lunch yesterday? Sadness. Where'd you go for dinner? Misery. That's all he has. He he is experiencing absolute misery of soul. Perhaps you're experiencing a, a similar season this morning. Life has lost its color. Some who have endured seasons of depression describe it like this. I felt like I was walking through a field of dead flowers. I found a beautiful rose, but when I bent down to smell it, I fell into an invisible hole. That one little spot of life, that one little moment, I thought rescue would come and I fell. Another said it like this, my heart is empty. All the fountains that should run with longing are dried up in me. I feel as though I died a few weeks ago and my body hasn't found out yet. If we search the rest of the Psalms, we can see that our psalmist is not alone, certainly not. Psalm 6 and verse 6, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Psalm 102 verse 9, I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Time and time again, the scripture describes a painful state of sadness if we step out of the Word just for a second, we, we can know from our world that, that even secular psychology indicates that something like 25% of people will encounter some type of depressive uh, season in their life. I, I would suspect by the time my generation ages up into adulthood, that will have skyrocketed. We see now amongst youth and, and teens, we see a, a massive rise of depression, depressive symptoms, Suicide, suicidal ideation, non-suicidal self-injury, just a sea of misery. One, one person said it like this, my head feels empty, my mind won't work, my ideas are confused and I can no longer concentrate, my memory is shot, my energy is gone, I no longer know what I want, what I'm supposed to do, I doubt, I hesitate, I don't dare make a decision. If we looked even within the church, we could see that great men of God at times have struggled with this darkness of soul. We, we revere Charles Spurgeon and the great ministry he had, and yet he could say, I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. We saw, and I'm, I'm so thankful for the songs we got to sing this morning, 
of those times of, of darkness and difficulty and that, that glorious call that we would trust the Lord and rejoice in the Lord even in those difficult times. And yet William Cooper, a, a famous hymn writer uh, who wrote alongside uh, John Newton, crafted some of the most enduring hymns of all time, battled with depression regularly such that, that Newton's care for him focused on, on just helping him navigate the daily difficulties of life in and out of these seasons of deep, dark depression. Cooper wrote what is, what is surely one of his uh, most famous hymns, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. For Cooper and at times for Spurgeon and perhaps for you this morning, depression is that frowning providence behind which God has hidden his smiling face. It is certainly the same for our psalmist as well. There is the reality of spiritual depression. And yet this kind of darkness, this kind of sadness is not without reason. Let's look back at our text and we'll see several reasons for spiritual depression. I count at least seven from the passage and I'll add a few more at the end. I'll be, uh, I'll be bringing some friends along as we, we move through our passage today. And, and one friend I'll bring here is commentator James Boyce, who excellently walks through this passage. Let's look at reason one. Reason one is, is somewhat on its face there as we see in verse one and two the sense that God is absent. The sense that God is absent. Where are you, Lord? When shall I appear before you? I'm thirsty. I'm parched. I need some water. I'm a deer. This is not like Bambi trotting along by a little, little riverbed. This is a deer who is longing and thirsting. Perhaps a, a, a person who's been in the wilderness slurping from just sick puddles and longs for flowing water, longs for clean water to drink. They're parched. They must have this stream. If you look at the heading of Psalm 42, you'll see that it is a song of the sons of Korah. We know from Scripture that the, song, the, the sons of Korah were worship leaders appointed by David to lead worship in the temple, to, to craft and then perform music for God's people. Their role and their goal is to point people to the worship of the true God. Their life was in the temple. Their work was in the temple. And yet our psalmist is not experiencing that presence of God that he would expect. Absent the presence of the Lord, despair descends as all we have to look to is our circumstances. Perhaps that's the case for you this morning. Perhaps that is one of the contributing reasons to your current spiritual darkness is that it seems that the Lord is far off. Let's look at reason number two, the taunts of his enemies. The taunts of his enemies. This shows up several times throughout the psalm. Perhaps maybe the strongest theme in, in what he calls out as what he's experiencing. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Verse 9b, if you want to say the back half of verse 9, why do I go in mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. 
As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And then 43 verse 2, why do I go in mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. The psalmist faces false accusations and tests of faith. His enemies surround him. Perhaps you can imagine as, as he is surrounded even by, by pagan nations, perhaps, that they have lifted up their little G gods and said, here are our gods, great and mighty. Where is your God? Where is your God? They question his allegiance. In fact, they question the very presence of God. Where is your God when you suffer so much? Where is your God when you go about in mourning? Where is your God when you're separated from your place of worship and you cry out to no avail and receive no response? Where is your God when the wicked prosper and the righteous face difficulty all day? we look further into the passage, we see in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Who is it that says to him, where is your God? Certainly, as we see later in the passage, it's his enemies. But I would make the case to you that just as well, while the enemies are off doing something else, there is a constant present reminder of his sadness. There's a constant present questioning of the presence of God, and that comes from his tears. Perhaps the tears, in fact, say to him, where is your God? I'm going to add reason three in here, his tears. His tears. Depression is inward-focused and self-perpetuating. Why are you sad? Because I'm sad. Why are you sad? Because I feel like God's abandoned me. Well, how do you know that God's abandoned you? Because I'm sad. I'm sad. His tears show up to testify of his sadness, and that only further pushes him into sadness. This is the self-focused nature of depression on display. The psalmist, caught up in his own experience, listens to himself, listens to his emotion, and finds only misery. Let's press on as we look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. I'm going to call this, if you're, you're tracking here, reason for memories of better days. Memories of better days. Perhaps one of the reasons you currently struggle with depression and despair is memories of better days. Remember, we, we just said this Uh, The author of this psalm is a temple worship leader. And yet, as we see later in the passage, he is separated from that. He's no longer able to fulfill that duty. He's no longer able to, to go with the people. And he looks back, and he thinks, and he remembers the better days. He says, I can't even lift my head to pray. I can't even draw up the strength within me to praise the Lord. And yet, I used to lead God's people in joyous songs. I was a worship leader. I led people in festivals, and now I can't stop crying. Another friend to bring in here is Martin Lloyd-Jones in his excellent book, Spiritual Depression. He calls it this. He calls this a reaction 
on the tales of a remarkable experience. Lloyd-Jones cautions us that perhaps after the heights of spiritual joy, after the, the, that time, that mission trip, that time when, when God just moved powerfully in your life, that perhaps something like depression could be waiting right around the corner. And so he calls it uh, the reaction on the tales of a remarkable experience. I have a, a little simpler version of that. I would just call this rearview mirror depression. Rearview mirror depression. There's, there's a focus on some great thing that God did in the past, and because of that, I've wrongly interpreted that focus, and I've been completely sunk in the present. The past is prompting the depression. You remember the greatness of the days gone by, and it has brought you low. But what about the present? We talked about the past. What about the present? Yep, there's cause for depression in the present too. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Reason 5, if you're tracking along, reason 5, I'm going to call the trials of life. The trials of life. The trials have come and all but washed me away. You can imagine uh, perhaps being out to sea and the sea is rolling and roaring and you just get a moment, just enough to take a breath, just enough to see the sunlight, and the next wave comes, and it crashes on you, and you go further under, and it crashes on you, and you go further under, and you swim and fight with all your might to get up, and then you go right back under. Six verses ago, he was thirsty. Now he's drowning. Perhaps you're experiencing that this morning. The trials of life have come and overwhelmed you. And it seems as though you're drowning. I want to encourage you, as, as the psalmist actually gives me some encouragement here, that his theology has not failed him in this regard. If we look at verse 7 real closely, we ask this question, whose waves are crashing? Whose waves are crashing? All your waves, God. All your waves have gone over me. Who is responsible for the difficulty that this psalm writer is facing? The Lord. The Lord has allowed difficulty and trouble to come into his life. To draw him to himself. To, to call him out of something. And he knows that. Thank God he knows that. We think about a passage like Romans 8. And we know that God works all things together. And maybe right now the psalmist, that's as far as he got. I know God is doing this. I know God has allowed this trial. I know he's brought it in my life. And Maybe we separate that from the back end and the real picture of Romans 8, 28 and all the way to 29, that, that God is drawing us to look like Christ. I know God allows sickness in my life. I know God allowed me to lose my job. And, and like the psalmist, in this particular moment, we don't connect that dot out just one step further. And I know he's good and intends it for my good. And so he knows, in the trials of life, he knows that these things have crashed over his head. They have crashed in uh, God's good providence, and yet he doesn't see the goodness of God in them yet. Let's look at reason six, God's slow response to our troubles. 
God's slow response to the troubles. Verse 9 says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I appreciate Joel reading Psalm 13, and we see this refrain throughout the Psalms. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? When is my rescue coming? I need your help. I need saved from this. I can't endure it any longer. God, why have you forgotten me? Surely you see me down here in misery. Why? Why are you deaf to my problems and blind to my circumstances? How long? People struggling with depression often point to major areas of life where they have been let down. And the psalmist is certainly dealing with that here. Rather than trusting in God's good timing, he's disappointed at the providence of God as it's played out in his life. God has not come through for us in time, in our time. Perhaps you, like the psalmist, maybe the psalmist has begun to play the if-only game. I don't know about you, I'm really good at that game. Lindsay and I do love a good board game, but I'm way better at the if-only game. Maybe you've played that. Maybe we can play a couple rounds together. My life would be so much better if only. You know, I would really start to get serious about my faith if only. If only this and that happens, I'll be happy. Everything will be fine. I can trust the Lord if only. Maybe the psalmist is playing that game. Maybe you and I are today. Let me add a seventh to our list. This is reason seven, and I'm going to call it simply feelings against facts. Feeling against facts. I have three verses in mind that that jump out to me that that give us this reason. Verse 2, verse 9, chapter 43, verse 2. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 43, 2, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? The psalmist calls upon three attributes of God, almost like throwaway truths. He, He comes up on these attributes of God, he acknowledges them, and then he moves right back into his feelings. I'm going to say these are feelings against facts, and he he talks about uh, three truths of who God is. First, he calls on God as the living God, the living God, the infinite God, the God not bound by time or space, the eternal God, the omnipresent God, the God who is everywhere because he is living God sees all, knows all, and is present everywhere. And yet, as the psalmist laments, he despairs that he doesn't know when he will yet again appear before God. Certainly, there there is some uh, Old Testament thought to, to squeeze in here and understand that the psalmist, in part, is lamenting the fact that he's separated from the temple and he can't get there and he can't bring the people in. And yet, he asks when he will appear before God. Well, yet, if he knows that God is the living God, the omnipresent God, then when will he appear before God? Now. He is before God, even as he writes these words, even as he, he laments the fact that he can't appear before God, he knows he's in front of God. 
He's called out an attribute of God and then completely dismissed it because he's trusted his feelings over what he knows to be true. Let's look again at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I'm going to call that out as God is the unchanging God. If you fancy the theological word, he's the immutable God. He's unchanging. He says that God is my rock. I looked up the Hebrew and it means rock. He says rock. He says fortress. God is unchanging. He won't change. His promises won't fall flat. He's my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Despite knowing God's character, I I, I say this somewhat reservedly, but the psalmist enters into willful disbelief. I know what's true about the Lord. I know he's a rock. I know he doesn't change. But I'm going to go on believing he's forgotten me. He is fully aware of the reality of God's steadfastness and yet even accuses God of abandoning him. Thirdly, in Psalm 43 and verse 2, God is the saving God. God is the living God, he's the unchanging God, and he's the saving God. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Here again, we see this pattern. In his despair, he lacks the hope that comes to us in Christ when we know that we will find our refuge in Christ. We've been hidden with Christ in God. He knows who God is, and yet his feelings have prompted him to believe the lie that we can be snatched from God's hands. And so again, just to put a bow on it, I will say that that this final reason that I see here in the passage is that his willful choice to believe feelings over facts have prompted his despair. And in so doing, he has buried himself further in the pit of despair. If we step out of our psalm for a minute and, and start to think a little bit more broadly in Scripture, we can see a couple Uh, other reasons. I'm going to point out one glaring reason that I'm going to drive by, and that is sin. The prompting of sin to to bring us into a place of despair and depression. I won't belabor the point because I think I made it as I had the opportunity to bring the word last time I was in the pulpit. Psalm 32 verse 1 says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Unconfessed and unrepented of sin has the potential to drive us into the pits of depression. I spoke about how sin brings death. Unrepented of, unmortified, unkilled sin brings death. And and I'm going to call despair and deathiness in light of um, unrepented sin. I'm going to call that deathiness, right? It's just a current expression, a current experience of death. And it sounds like depression. We can, we can draw in a couple others. Uh, William Bridge, who I'll quote a little bit later, talks about sins, weaknesses, failure to perform godly duties, lack of assurance, strength of temptation, times when God feels absent, afflictions, struggles with work, spiritual conditions not being what they should be. 
Lloyd-Jones, who I mentioned earlier, talks about temperament. He says, plain and simple, some are more prone to struggle in this kind of way. It's not an excuse. It's not a reason to accept that kind of depression, but it is perhaps a reality that some are more prone to struggle in that way. He talks about physical conditions, that your depression, the, the thing that you are pointing your depression at could be a physical suffering. Or perhaps your body is suffering in a way that is prompting you to experience something more like unto depression. As a biblical counselor, I would encourage anyone who comes to me to to get a legitimate, full, physical, medical workup to understand their body, understand what potential conditions may impact their experience of something like depression. But I'd also encourage us to be discerning and grow in our understanding of even where modern medical science is with regard to understanding depression. Much of what has been the gospel for the last 50 or so years has been overturned even in the past few months as articles have come out clarifying that that what has been the gospel of chemical imbalance, saying that that is really the main mechanism driving depression in people, is simply not the case. I'd encourage you to grow in your understanding. Do the research. Check into some of the resources that are, that are willing to ask hard questions and answer, what do we really know about these things when it comes to placing a, a physical or a biological cause with regard to depression? And perhaps you're battling depression this morning and, and I haven't hit your cause yet. You say, Logan, I'm not, I'm not in Psalm 40, 42 and I've searched my heart. I know there's not sin deep down in there that I'm unrepentant of. I'm just take a crack at it here. So let's, let's give this. Let's think about other people, yourself, the fall, the devil, anger, fear, world events, dashed hope, failure, shame, guilt, legalism, and death. Birth of a child, death of a child, beginning of a relationship, end of a relationship, overconnectedness, underconnectedness, too much to do, not enough to do, never getting what you want or getting what you want only to find out that it cannot satisfy. Brothers and sisters, in the fight for joy, there is no end to the number of enemies that would steal the joy that is ours in Christ from us. Left to themselves and left alone to our thoughts, any one of these things has the potential to drive us into despair. But there is hope. There is hope. Hope because though it may feel as though God has abandoned you, if you are in Christ, God's unchanging word tells you he has not. Hope because though darkness seems to follow you around like a cloud over everything you do, if you are in Christ, like the psalmist found at the end of Psalm 43, light is coming. So let's look now at the final point, the rescue from spiritual depression. The rescue from spiritual depression. Again, remember, I'll, I'll cover this both in your own personal battle and how you can encourage and help others. If you track the progression of Psalm 42 and 43, you'll notice that the psalmist does not end where he begins. As a deer pants for water ends up with, send out your light and your truth, right? There, there is so much change in the, the course of this psalm. I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I will praise you with the lyre. That doesn't really sound depressed. It sounds like something radical has changed in his heart and life as he's thought through these things. By the grace of God, change comes. 
Let's look at the personal rescue, and I'll break it down into three points. For one, personal rescue from spiritual depression comes from questioning depressive thoughts. Questioning depressive thoughts. Then challenging them with the truth of God's Word. Questioning depressive thoughts and challenging them with the truth of God's Word. And then finally, defying depression with hope-filled trust in the character and nature of God. Defying depression with the hope-filled trust in the character and nature of God. We see a refrain that runs through these two psalms a total of three times. And it reads like this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. I, I would say it like this. Depression speaks in terms of emptiness and void. It, it is perhaps that we go to, to find hope and longing and joy and desire and all these kinds of things, and, and we, we draw up nothing, like an empty well. There's nothing down there to, to draw from. When you go to find energy, perhaps, you find none. And what the psalmist tells us and is demonstrating for us in these questions is that the answer is not to go to your depression seeking to be rescued from your depression. The answer is to question it. To question it. To find out why the well is broken. Let me say it like this. People struggling with depression do a lot of listening to themselves and not nearly enough talking to themselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again, the main art in the matter of spiritual living, is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why? Stop being satisfied with the answer, I just am. Question yourself. Look deeper. What is it? What has you so bothered that it is troubling every aspect of your life? When we reach verse 5, Up to this point in the psalm, all the psalmist has done is recite his complaints, his problems. I thirst for God. I miss the good times. All I do is cry all day. The people around me mock me. These are real things. That sounds real bad. They're big things. But rather than listening to these complaints and letting them define you, the psalmist grabs hold of his soul puts it on the courtroom stand and demands a deeper answer. Why are you cast down? What cause do you have? What argument do you bring against the joy that is mine in Christ? Beloved, if you're slipping into a season of depression, can I implore you, in light of this passage, to question yourself. Don't accept your feelings as facts. Don't accept your thoughts as gospel truth, but question them. Challenge them. Bring them in line. Excuse me. Excuse me. 
bring them in line with the truth of God's word, which is the only surety we have. Thanks for your patience there. There's another phase to this whole thing. Another phase that we want to move into if we want to be faithful to overcome spiritual depression. And that is that after we've questioned ourselves, after we've put our depression on the stand and asked it, why are you cast down my soul? We then need to tell ourselves the truth. Lloyd-Jones again, you must turn on yourself, scold yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering to yourself in this depressed, unhappy way. The next phase is simply this, that you would tell yourself the truth. Tell yourself the truth. Tell yourself who God is and what he's done for you. Think deeply about the attributes of God. God the unchanging one. God the saving one. God the one who has the strength to bear you up. God the good one who has allowed these things in his providence to you for your good and his glory. Perhaps you're, you're hearing this message and, and you're thinking, I've never placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior I don't know those things about God. I don't find those things to be true. Can I encourage you, if you sit here apart from Christ, that believers, those who have the Spirit of God, those who know the truths of God, battle with these kinds of struggles day in and day out. And and I, I say this lovingly, tenderly, I don't think you have a chance apart from Christ. If you're still in your sin, despair is correct. The wrath of God abides on you because you have not found refuge in the Son. And so I I implore you, I plead with you, would you find rescue in Jesus Christ this morning? Would you find in Him our perfect Savior, fully God, fully man, who died on a cross to take on Him the penalty that we deserve? Would you find rescue for your soul? Would you find the fount of everlasting joy in him? And then you will be able to, believer, tell yourself the truth. You'll be able to think deeply about your restored relationship with the God of the universe, the God who says, in my presence there is fullness of joy, and at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ, I would just plead with you to take a moment after the service and consider the claims of Jesus Christ. Find a pastor, find, as maybe John would say, find somebody who looks like they know what they're doing and ask them what it means to follow Jesus. Please do that this morning. Apart from him, you have no hope. Believer, if you're stuck in the pit of depression, talk to yourself. Tell yourself the truth. The psalmist brings out one key truth, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Are my circumstances against me? Certainly. Do I have pain to deal with? Absolutely. But here's what I know beyond anything else. I will again praise God. 
God's my salvation. God's care and love for me don't depend on how well I trust him. He will rescue me and I will praise him again. Does your depression stem from sin? Repent of your sin and then cling to Romans 5 and verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hold on to that verse like your life depends on it. Did you put your depression on trial and find out that perhaps you're experiencing a state of despair because you don't feel like God is using you in the way you desire? Perhaps you can't serve in the way you want. Perhaps you're not seeing the fruit of your ministry. Would you go to Ephesians 2.10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Maybe you're like the psalmist and you can't seem to catch your breath above the breakers and waves of life. Romans eight thirty eight and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grab hold of these truths, and as Lloyd-Jones says, then defy yourself. Defy yourself. Speak to yourself with great confidence. I will yet praise him. Hold that truth. Battle the thoughts and feelings that you experience because they are not true according to God's word. Why are you cast down my soul? He he presses into this. And then things begin to get a little bit brighter. Verse 8, send out your light. We, we get this little moment, these little glimpses that perhaps things are going to be better. Verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is within me. It's starting something. Day's breaking. I can see there's hope. Something's coming. Defy yourself. Defy yourself. Take yourself in hand. Grab a hold of yourself with the promises of Scripture and don't let go until the light comes. William Bridge, a Puritan minister, writes a book, A Lifting Up of the Downcast, and I'd commend that book to you. So many helpful things in it. In it, Bridge says this, faith is the help against all discouragements. This kind of defiant faith. This faith that stands in the face of difficulty and says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Faith is the help against all discouragements. To hope in God is to expect help from God. To trust in God is to rely or rest upon God for help. And to wait on Him is to continue and abide in this expectation of reliance. Brothers and sisters, God will rescue you from this present darkness. The darkness that has gripped you for so long, is isolating, and yet we have hope. If you suffer and and struggle with this this morning, and this is perhaps the, the thing that was heavy on your heart as you walked in, I want you to hear this and know this well. You are not alone. You are not alone. This kind of darkness just shuts us down and it's isolating and it makes us want to turn inward and shut the outside world out from around us. But God meant for the remedy you need to come in and through the life of the church. 
And so we've seen the reality of spiritual depression. It's perhaps much more common and more difficult than most of us imagined. We've seen some of the reasons for spiritual depression, thoughts of better times, the absence of the experience of God's presence, believing feelings over facts. And then we've started to see the rescue. Just like the psalmist, the person struggling with depression is called to take themselves in hand and preach God's truth. And so I want to close our time together by thinking about how we as a church are called to rescue one another from the pit of depression. Brothers and sisters, God intended us as believers in Christ to come around one another, to lift one another up. Let me give you a few verses for your consideration. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they, fail, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. If they fall, perhaps if they fall into, a, into depression, one will lift up his fellow. We have a responsibility to be there for one another, to come alongside one another, to comfort one another. Second Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 5. Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Can you imagine the comfort needed when you're enduring a season of despair? The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We as believers have an undeniable responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ, even as they battle for joy in spiritual depression. And that means opening up ourselves, opening up our lives to others, opening up our lives to others that struggle. Let me give us five concrete ways that we can, we can do this, we can be a part of this, and then I'll be done. Number one, we can pray for them. Number one, we can pray for them. Depression only lifts through the power and mercy of God, and so we must first and foremost commit ourselves to pray for them. We pray that God would rescue them. We pray that he would give them strength and hope. We pray that he would be with them in their darkest and loneliest moments. And we pray, just as the psalmist prayed, that God would send out his light and his truth. Number two, we bring them the promises of God. We've said already that one of the key things that someone suffering with depression needs to do is to tell themselves the truth. So, so be a part of that. Bring them the promises of God. Show up to the conversation like a light in a darkened room and be ready to encourage them with the truth of who God is. One person who suffered with depression said it like this, it really helped me when I had a friend who didn't give up on me. She was always loving me and pointing me to the truth even when I didn't want to hear about Jesus. Another person said it like this, it really helped when I had a friend who kept the bigger picture of God's kingdom in front of me. Depression made my world so small. When I saw that God was on the move, I began to have hope. You can bring them the attributes of God. You can speak about this unchanging, saving God. You can bring them the gospel message and recount that gospel message with them, the gospel they still need to hear. 
You can point them to the reality that our king wins. Number three, you can encourage them. You can encourage them and build them up. You can celebrate their successes. You can can find opportunities to come alongside them and cheer them on. You remind them of truths such as 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. As a, as a biblical counselor, when we sit down with folks, one of the, the first things we're trying to do is give hope. And we can go to that passage to give hope because we can remind them, A, you're not the only one who suffers in this way. And B, God is faithful. You can remind them of that. Number four, you can challenge them. You can challenge them. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You can challenge them. Perhaps they, like the psalmist, are, are imbibing feelings over facts, and so you can point them to the truth. You can challenge them, say, I, I know that's how you feel right now. I know that's maybe even what it looks like right now, but here's what we know is true. If you want a, a little bit of homework, I, I invite you to print out Psalm 42 and 43 and just highlight every positive thought in green and every negative thought in red. And what I think you'll see pretty quickly is that the psalmist multiplies complaints. Even after verse 5, he, he, he comes in with the wire you cast down on my soul, and yet he's not done there. It, it's like he's perhaps gone to the first round and he comes back, and he's right back in the fight, and he's still depressed. And he even pushes into verse, uh, chapter 43, and he's still fighting this. The person you're caring for may struggle to just keep finding reasons to be sad. And so you, as a faithful friend, can walk alongside them. You can challenge them. You can live out Proverbs 27.6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And then number five, you can foster relationships. You can foster relationships. You can help them build a community around them, a community of care and service, uh, give them opportunities to, to love others, bring them into relationships where all these positive things can take place. It, just a little note here. I don't mean acquaintances. Often if you are struggling through depression and really just a, a deep, dark season, kind of the last thing you want to do is like meet new people and recount your problems just a little bit. Deep, meaningful, rich relationships where they can have hard talks, where they can be open and honest with one another, where they can pray and bring Scripture to you. At this point, I, I get the joy of commending the biblical counseling ministry of Faith Bible Church. I get the joy of telling you that perhaps this morning, if you are struggling in this way, if you're dealing with these seasons of despair, you're not alone. We stand ready to help you. We have men and women who are ready to give time and energy and care to to walk with you, to bring the truths of the word to you, to, to come alongside and encourage you and help you in this dark time. The next step for that, it looks simply like grabbing one of us who, who is uh, 
in the counseling ministry or perhaps visiting our, our site and putting in an application so that we can begin to walk alongside you in a, in a, in a helpful, hopeful way to care for you. The other, the other side of that, just as I mentioned, kind of two ways we're, we're called to, to change here is that perhaps you've heard this message this morning and you want to be a part of that ministry. You want to be a part of God using you to walk into someone's life with gospel truth. I want to just celebrate that God's moving in that way in your heart. There is so much good to be done by walking alongside someone, bringing God's word, bringing God's truth and caring for them. And so if perhaps you are just pricked of heart this morning and want to be a part of that ministry, would you come find me? And, and let's just talk about what it means to, to walk alongside folks in that way. Folks who are suffering in this way and perhaps many others. Let us equip you in the Word. Let us, let us build upon the equipping that you already have to minister God's truth to people in desperate need. And all the while, as, as you get to be a part of that, perhaps in our ministry or perhaps just as a, a believer in this church, you get to be a part of that. You get to draw someone closer and closer to Christ our great king, our king who alone has conquered despair, and who alone can provide the joy that we desperately need. You get to point them to him. You get to thank him for the, the progress you see. You get to walk in the power that he's given us to do exactly that. You get to remind them of his salvation, of his love for them. And as they grow and as they change, and God gets glory for doing what he does in the world, you get to thank him for every victory along the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you even for restoring my voice and and for bringing your word this morning. Thank you that you've spoken deeply to our hearts and, and given us opportunity to respond. Help us to be men and women who bring the truth, who live by truth and not feelings, who look forward to your return as our final hope, and who look to you each and every day as the only thing that can satisfy, the only thing that can draw us out of deep pits of despair and depression. Lord, you alone are the fountain of joy, and so we thank you for all this. We ask you would bless this word in our hearts this week as we go. In Christ's name, amen.